days are here again, the skies above are clear again. Let us sing a song of cheer again, happy days are here again. Welcome to Rosa Remarks, the podcast where we chronologically explore the stories of Disney Comics legend Don Rosa, the Eisner Award-winning artist and writer of classic Scrooge McDuck and Donald Duck comic book stories. Join us as we discuss his storytelling, illustrations, cultural contexts, references, and inspirations from Karl Barks, appreciate hidden gags and Easter eggs, and whatever else animates me and my guests. Welcome, welcome to Rosa Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics, loves talking about the stories of Don Rosa, and, uh, you know, at, at least enjoys some of the work that he did that that may not have been exclusively his. Uh, This is by way of saying that we've got kind of an unusual episode planned today. Uh, This is kind of going to be our grab bag episode, listeners. It'll be a little bit, a little bit different. There's going to be a lot less research. It's going to be a little bit more free-flowing. But there there are just a bunch of Rosa works that don't quite fit into the category of like 10-pagers or adventure stories. They're kind of ephemera. Some of them are very short. But, you know, in the interest of being completionists, we are going to discuss these Rosa stories that don't necessarily deserve their own episode on their own. So long-winded introduction, but um, I do think this is going to be a very interesting episode. Uh, We're kind of centering this around the story Making the Grade, which is the only like full-on completed 10-pager that doesn't necessarily fit with the rest of our podcast format. Um, But to have this kind of conversation, it needs to have another participant. And I am delighted to welcome a new guest. I have got, uh, I've got a guest from Finland who has a, a typically Finnish name and it means Mark. So I approve of it strongly, but, um, but I'm not great at saying the Finnish names, listeners. So let me give this a try. I've been practicing. Welcome to Marku Mujunen. How did I do? Quite okay. A little bit wrong. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so hello, everyone. I am Marku Mujunen, and I am a Duck Comics fan from Finland. Excellent. And and welcome to you. Genuine welcome, Marku. Ah, rookie mistake with the, the Scandinavian J. I've got to remember that it's a... It's a yeah almost everywhere in the world. But, mm. So say say your first name again so that when I refer to you, I can get it a little more right. Marco. So it do- doesn't really have a oo at the end? Um, It does, but it, we kind of swallow it at the end. We you, don't you say... Kind of swallow it. Yeah, we don't say the long u, but we say Marco. Marco. All right. Yeah. Marco. All mm. right. Well, I'll do my best. and uh, But again... My understanding is that it basically is the name Mark in Finnish, so strongly approved. Um, so Marku, tell me about tell me about yourself as a Rosa fan. You know, when when did you get into the stories of Rosa or other Disney comics? As with any other film, almost I got into the uh, Donald Duck comics by having the magazine delivered to our postbox every week. Before I guess. Well, my family started uh, ordering the magazine at 95 or 
even perhaps a little bit earlier, the Finnish tradition of uh, ordering the magazine to the kid when the kid is born was at the very high fashion back then. So there was a tradition that this magazine has the, about the best Finnish language that is imaginable. So it was thought to be very good for the kids back then. Weird when one considers comic books having been non, not very good with language and stuff, but that's right. what happens. Yeah, it kind of flies in the face of, of the American idea of comics. Um, mm. As you say, it kind of it, anytime I have someone on from from Scandinavia, it feels weird asking them, how did you get into these comics? Because um, it's kind of like breathing, right? The, like it, they, they are much more widely available and popular. I understand they're not quite as popular as they once were, that they're they're a mm. little bit less fashionable, more on the outs, but but still, it is certainly not. Uh, there there are there are fewer stories of how you got into this. Yes, and uh, as with uh, any other film, almost uh, every everyone is a fan of Don Rosa, and uh, we we are very eagerly waiting for his comics. When we, it was almost like. Every time there is a Rosa story, you have a blockbuster in in a blockbuster movie in the magazine. Right. And it, I guess it's even still is now if they sometimes do reprints of his stories and stuff. Nice. Yeah, it's it's fairly well known by by Rosa fans that like the Finns are especially uh, especially fond of him. Right. Like he's he's pandered to you guys even by by setting one of his big i think his longest adventure story um in finland with the big the the big fin finnish myth the kind of ur mm. myth of finland um yes the kalevala yes so i definitely looking forward to getting into that at some point it, i i do feel that it's important that i have people from all of the the countries where rosa is the most popular on so i'm i'm very happy to get someone representing Finland. Um, but you do seem, I, I really appreciate, you know, you and I have had a couple of exchanges and you're very engaged mm. with the, the podcast, which I really appreciate. And and you are also uh, a fan artist yourself, right? You've you've dabbled in doing duck uh, fan art that is, is quite good. Mm. Yeah, it's um, one part of being into comics as a kid, you really want to learn how to draw yourself also and i ended up as a graphic designer i have never actually drawn comics professionally but i really like to still draw cartoons and well basically whatever comes to mind it is a hobby at this point but i like to dabble yeah well you you shared some of your work um with me and i i i was really impressed i think it's really good we'll definitely point people towards your instagram as we wrap up, before we get into our, our big grab bag assortments of uh, Rosa stories and gags of varying length, why don't you share with us, are, are there a couple of stories that you'd like to point out as some of your all-time favorites? My favorite one, like the absolute favorite one, is not even the one of the most well-known adventure stories or anything, but I really like Attack the 10-pager where Donald and Scrooge are protecting the money bin from all kinds of 
threats. If I found it um, absolute joy, I think I've never laughed at anything as hard as when I was reading that one. Nice. Yeah, that's a good choice. Strong choice. Another one is then long adventure stories. For some reason, I guess it was in the first magazines that I still remember was The Last Lord of El Dorado. It was a pretty formative story. These are interesting choices. So, Mark Buch. If I sound a little bit world weary, if I sound a little weary about doing this episode, um, I, I think this is going to be really fun and really interesting. But I will admit, this is not something that I originally planned to do. You know, I, originally mm. I was like, I'm only going to do Rose's 10 pagers and his adventure stories. And the only exception that I wanted to make was giving its own episode to the Pied Piper of Duckburg for obvious reasons, you know, since he was finishing a bark story. So I was like, yeah, we've got this uh, making the grade, which is technically a 10 pager, but it wasn't written by Rosa. And we've got give unto others, which um, again, is not written by Rosa and is only seven pages. So I was like, no one's going to care if I skip those. But then when I surveyed folks on the Facebook page, it did seem like people were pretty overwhelmingly interested in having these covered. So that's mm. fine. I, I thought it would probably make sense to kind of flesh it out a little bit more, treat it as a grab bag of really almost everything that he did that didn't fit in the category that would like get its own full podcast episode. And we'll talk mm. about a, a couple of exceptions here. So so basically, the plan is we're going to, for the most part, we're going to go chronologically through some of the very short gags that he did, um, some of the early, they're mostly early stories. We're going to be really brisk if we're talking like one and one and two pagers. Because, you know, with the with the original podcast, Bark's Remarks, I almost never talk about Carl Bark's many, many gag stories. Obviously, they don't lend themselves to the podcast format. But honestly, I am not a big fan of Bark's uh, one-page gag stories. And I know that a lot of fans do like them. It might just be kind of my modern sensibilities and not having grown up with them as they came out. But um, they really, to me, feel like the filler that they are. Uh, most of them end up just being har-har, Scrooge sure is rich jokes. Mm. Uh, there are a few of them that kind of make me chuckle. There's a few really creative ones, but like if I wanted that, I feel like I can I can read some of the many fine comic strips that do that kind of humor in, in that kind of medium. I think better. So that that's where I stand. What do you, what do you think? What 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 are your thoughts on like very short gags in 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 that vein? I do enjoy the Barks ones mostly of course, because they are sort of simple. They take uh, uh, the Scrooge's richness and they kind of just focus on one thing at a time. So they are, in my mind, quite effective in doing that. I guess I may be biased because those were originally published in Finland in this one volume that was actually full, just, it wasn't translated at all, but it was uh, learn learn English with a Scrooge McDuck, basically. Oh yeah. So, oh, that that sounds that sounds delightful. I can definitely 
if I had the opportunity to learn a, a foreign language that was kind of based, premised on on these one pagers, I would I would sure feel a lot of fondness for them. And I don't blame yeah. anyone for being fond of those, right? Like it's it's Bark's art, so you you've got that. Like they're they're really yeah. wonderful. They just they don't stand out to me. The fun part was the, that those were completely uncensored, as one would say, since they were in black and white and with the original lettering, which pleases me endlessly as a comics fan to have the original lettering. Right. There. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. That's a fun, fun little personal bit. So the, the plan is we're going through them chronologically, except we are going to kind of make the, the 10 page story making the grade that'll kind of be our highlight because it, it is a pretty narratively like satisfying one I, th- I think it kind of stands apart from some of the others especially the ones that rosa didn't write um we're going to hmm. be covering a lot of stories that are from a small period where he was kind of exploring other revenue streams right he he went to work for oberon at the time which was the name of the dutch publisher uh and he just hmm. kind of became like a an artist for hire and took on some of their gag stories by a range of other writers, you know, because like doing the, the working for Gladstone publishing in the U S wasn't the most lucrative thing. And he kind of figured out, he mentions this in his fanographics commentary that uh, there was this whole other market across the ocean uh, where, hmm. where the duck comics were much more vital. So, you know, he looked into that for a while, but kind of ultimately fell out of doing that and would um for the most part only write and do the art for his own duck stories going forward Hmm. he does mention that the dutch art directors didn't fancy his art at all yeah yeah you're right You, you get the feeling that it was a little bit mutual i think i've seen this a couple of times where he mentions that the dutch are were kind of uniquely um apt to tell him he was doing things wrong Right. I, I got to talk about this when I recorded uh, the episode where I talked about on a silver platter where, you know, a mm. couple couple of artists that might get briefly mentioned, uh, an artist that might get briefly mentioned. In this is, is going to do kind of a um, collaboration against Rose as well. So at any rate, Marku, let's uh, let's get into this. The first piece of. Um, the first one that we're going to talk about is Fir Tree Fracas, which was published in published in December of 1987. And this is actually quite a bit fun, quite a bit of fun. I, think. I, I really like this one. This is a short little four pager that is basically basically about Donald going over the top and trying to have the best Christmas tree on the block. Um, and then it just going spectacularly wrong at the end of the four pages. This was drawn, written and drawn by Rosa. Um, I think it has some really nice early art of his. I really like that we've got all of the Duck family kind of coming for Christmas dinner. Mm. And, um, and, and, I, and I like the way that this kind of ends up with um, his elaborate over-the-top Christmas tree, uh, completely losing its ornaments while Huey, Dewey, and Louie kind of sit innocently. I, mm. I I like this one. I remember really enjoying it as a kid. And four pages is, you know, for a little 
gag. It's it's definitely on the longer side. Yes, it was also. I think it was the first time I had actually read this, as is actually with many of these ones. So it's actually a very effective gag story that has like sort of hallmarks already in it with. Um, the wordplay. Uh, I especially like the Clarer and Shiner, the glassworks people that were on this one. They were translated into something completely else in Finnish, but and also you get the mayhem when Donald is carrying the Christmas decorations around town. There are lots of things in these uh, four pages. Right. I agree. This packs in a lot. It feels like a very Barksian, you know, it's obviously trying to be, there's a lot of references to things like the Black Forest. Um, You know, that glassmaker basically looks exactly like the principal we're going to talk about in Making the Grade. That that seems to be like Ah. a character swap, a palette swap of that character. Um, Yeah, the, it is, an artist needs to be effective and this is, way of going about it i guess right i i agree it's a standout when donald has labeled his glass as as nitro nitroglycerin tnt to to cause everyone to give him a wide berth um there's a very cute little gag where gyro's helper has like a little romantic uh you know he he sweeps away one of the christmas light bulbs um i I hmm. think this might be a standout as far as Rose's early gag stories. There's not not too much to say about it. There's we can't really do any analysis, but it's it's fun, very successful. I think this is a really what? good little four pager. Yes, and, and I'm not going to list the ranking for all of these, but I will note that this this is well liked enough to to rank in the top 1,000, which is pretty good for. For one of these stories, it's not 9.03 as of now on Index. So, oh. so that is, that's Fir Tree Fracas. And our next little story, our next little gag, we have a, a short little two-page gag called The Paper Chase that was also nice and early in February of 1988. Um, and this is one of the stories that was written by Gary Leach. So Rosa did the art, he did the pencil inking, and Gary Leach are you familiar with him, Marco? Um, not other than something I read from Rose's uh, remarks on the stories. But Gary Leach was a, a pretty important figure in publishing the comics, right? He was the mm. art director, production manager. He did a lot of the color coloring uh, in the 80s and 90s. And then like when I think when Gemstone relaunched. So he, he was one of the Gladstone guys, you know, and and probably mm. pretty, pretty a big part of um, just exposing, giving Rosa that chance, popularizing him. Actually, I have the Finnish uh, commentary open mm-hmm. in this case. He mentions that the paper chase, the joke can be impossible to translate. And he mentions that perhaps they have... Uh, uh, made up their own joke for you guys in this sure. one. Yeah, so this is going to hinge on a little pun. We we might say that we've been catching up on our reading. 
Um, and Scrooge mm. in this literally has to chase after one of after the paper that he has spent 35 cents on. And you, you sense that that probably annoys Rosa to have to like do the art for a story that clearly seems to be taking late 1980s prices for a newspaper mm. instead of a nickel, which is probably what it would have been either a nickel or a dime mm. during the Barks era. This was certainly one of the very first things that I ever read that Rosa did now that I think about it. I, I think it's oh. a fine little, you know, two-pager. It's it's cute. There's not too much to say beyond noting that it was written by Gary Leach, I think. I like it better than the... I, I think it's my favorite of these little Gary Leach written gags, personally. Yeah, there is a fun, fun mention in the translated one where yesterday's news half-priced yeah they actually have even managed to translate we have a saying we are trying to keep up with the news it's basically mm. the translation yeah that's pretty solid so so that's cute i also like that little gag mm. so that that is that is the first of these little gary leach short gags the next one is called rocket reverie and this is not not really that good I, I don't care for this. I don't it's 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 a weird little hypothetical science fiction thing. Um it's got some very lavishly detailed backgrounds that are quite nice. Uh mm. it's I think Rosa mentions in the commentary that like he ultimately decided that he had to set this up. It was so outlandish that he wanted to set this up as a pickle ice cream induced you know daydream um mm. but they get stranded on the moon and the nephews end up tying a comet hitch and and literally tie a rope to a comet so like rose's art is actually pretty strong for his early period here especially if you're looking at one of these like later colorings the the colorization and the fanographics is, is lavish and really nice um mm. but as as important as Gary Leach was, and and you know as much as he did for like heralding Gladstone's publishing company, this is I I think it's good that he had a day job. In the mm. case of this one, this this is not a great gag. This is pretty tortured and not entertaining to me. This is um, pretty much something that uh, an artist ha has fun with, but perhaps not uh, the that. The experience is anything other than me looking at uh, great art and uh, retro space art by Rosa. In this yeah, case. yeah, it's it's definitely one of those like we're talking about this for the same reason that it's included in the collection. It's a completionist thing. So yes. um, so we might as well go on and mm. and skip right past it to the next of the Gary Leach written two pagers. Um. I actually think this next one is really delightful. This this next one is called Fiscal Fitness. Um, boy, that mm. last one, let's see. I'm, before we go, uh, that, that last one is like, boy, people have really dogged this on Index. 40, that rank 40,415. Um, mm -hmm. Marku, if you know anything about statistics, that that to me actually suggests a little bit of review bombing, that it's as mm. low as it is. That's somewhere in like the, the 90th, you know, the the like bottom 10th percentile of all Disney comics. So if someone mm. hates this, and and I can't say I disagree. This next one, though, I, 
It has also obviously been review bombed down into the like 41,000s on index. And um, I like this. I think this next one, Fiscal Fitness, is quite cute. It shows Scrooge doing all these like goofy little workouts that are kind of some of which are geared around his um, around wealth. You know, he's like got a tax man decorated punching bag and he finally mm-hmm. lifts a uh, he lifts a dumbbell and says he's successful and he says i did it i am ready um and it turns out that he's participating in a well a wealth lifting event where the winner takes home all he can heft in the millionaires olympics and i don't know i maybe i'm being overly kind to this one but um this this was published in uncle uncle scrooge 227 which uh, certainly makes it one of the very earliest bits of Rosa art I ever saw. Cause I, I remember this was mm. in the first, the first like 10 or so comics I ever had, but, but I think it's mm. cute. I like this one a lot. What about you? It has got its cute moments and as uh, the, the side gags in it are of course uh, the very good ones. I especially like the part where uh, in the rowing machine that Scrooge is using, that there is a life preserver. In yeah, that I agree. Kind of... Right. So, you know, not again, not too much to say there, but 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 I, I, I like that one. That one's one of my favorites here. So let's see the next one that we get to talk about uh, should be Forget Me Not, right? Usually Marku, Marku. Mm. Usually, you are doing quite well. Okay, thank you. Um, so usually I go by the order that's up on Wikipedia, and that has Starstruck Duck like at the very end, because I think that's the first time it got like actually published in something released, you know, which I guess probably mm. would have been the Fanographics collections, or not the or some it would have been some kind some country's collection, clearly. Yeah, I have seen. Uh, con- conflicting reports i think in some place it mentioned 2004 and uh, one of my books mentions 2009 but it could be a translation error in this case so regardless it, it's it's a much later story and by some measures but it was intended for publication back in okay so the fan graphic says the norwegian hall of fame 5 december 2004 but it was intended for publication in summer of 1989. This is actually pretty long, right? It, it's technically a 10-pager. Um, it is something that I could, if I wanted to, try and wring, you know, an episode out of it. But I just, I don't want to, Mark, you. Um, huh. it, is, it is interesting as, like, something that Rosa did and obviously worked hard on. But it's also not, like... It's not in a finished state, right? Yes. And even if it had been finished, this is a weird, weird little thing because it's an adver, advertorial, whatever you call these little um, pieces of advertainment, right? It's it is the ducks in Disney Disney World, the one in oh. Florida, right? Not not the, not Disneyland, um, and and they're actually just taking a tour of the park. And the shtick here is that uh, 
They're supposed to be promoting the brand new third theme park, the Disney MGM Studios. Um, and then they're very excited to, to encounter Mickey Mouse throughout the mm. store, right? So people know like Rosa doesn't do much with Mickey Mouse, but here and there he'll like, he's done some covers with him. He'll throw in mm. a few little hidden Mickeys and stuff as a cameo but yeah it's it's hard what do you think it's is it even fair to judge this story because it's it only exists as these like working sketches um it was um let's just say that it was an ex- interesting experience you mentioning it an hour before the <laughs> podcast started and i realized i had never actually read this one so i then went on and read it it was actually really easy since in even in the finnish edition it is actually printed in in english of course they didn't see any uh sense in translating it but it's uh certainly different from, from almost anything i had ever seen in Rosa comics and for reasons that we have a real place that is the Disney MGM studios in Florida the fun part I that I found out that happens in the second page that you when Donald parks in the wrong place and just leaves that official limo of Michael D Eisner I sort of that okay then they mention i'm here to get the most famous the autograph of the most famous film star in the world and you must mean mickey mouse and i'm like oh <laughs> this starts to become a little bit uncanny valley in a way that uh, the donald and uh, the nephews are kind of acknowledging that they are comic book characters and there are mentions of the Disney cartoons, even one where Donald is actually uh, the clock cleaners. Mm -hmm. I actually also did watch this one for the first time, and I noticed that Donald does appear in that one. Right. In the Rosa story, he doesn't, he says he never saw that one. That is a great, uh, that is a pretty classic short. Yeah, a terrible, for somebody with a really bad vertigo like me <laughs> um, anyway but he he does rose does mention on the uh his commentary that i guess nobody uh the suits didn't understood understand his uh vision of it at all and it was uh, cancelled before it wasn't even drew, drawn up and he mentioned it's the only story he ever did that he didn't draw or ink at all. Yeah. So I do wonder what the people at Disney were thinking when they saw this one. It is like, for what it's worth, it is certainly different from any other advertisement comics that were done. I think I have read one of those. I think they were Italian and they were Mickey Mouse was somehow in disneyland or something but i can't at all remember what it was yeah there there is a great tradition of of disneyland promoting the parks right by like having its characters talk up disneyland barks did a bunch of these barks also did some of the like advertainment stories i think he did like donald duck talks about kites or something wasn't that like uh am i remembering that right there's at least one story that he did 
that was mm. just just like an advertisement. There is a funny bit where he's where in the story where he's taking a tour and he comments on grown men sitting around drawing cartoon characters. How embarrassing, uh, you know, as he tours the animation factory. Uh, that must be the that must be the most horrible uh, work environment one can imagine. Clearly, like you, you would have the uh, people going around in a roller coaster tram right next to where you are working. Yeah, yeah, I think that is part of the the shtick there at MGM Disney Studios. But this is a, a pretty funny little, you know, Rose that's mm. throwing some shade at himself. He in his commentary he talks about, you know, he just was like incredulous that Disney rejected it for being too commercial when when this that was like the whole point but i I mean honestly Mm. i see i think you mentioned it's a little uncanny it it does feel weird there's there's just too much it's too weird the ducks yeah the the ducks walking through the park talking about the the cartoon stars yes and uh one thing i found a little bit at one point nephews are looking at the room where there are clothes of mickey mouse and donald duck being made and then they see donald in there somehow weirdly acknowledging that they make costumes of their uncle in that building <laughs> it does start to become a little bit weird yeah and, and i kind of do understand why they probably rejected it i don't know if you can do this well that you probably couldn't create an all-time classic story out of this kind of premise of promoting a theme park anyway. So he can't really be too hard on Rosa. He really did try something different. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, even Barks, when he did these Disneyland stories, really just ignored the... It was like other artists who would do the Disneyland part and they would transition into his stories. So yeah, there's not too much. I I, I do suspect that I would feel more fondness for this if it had been if it had completed art um, I'm sure that mm. there would have been much more charm to this one you know it is kind of interesting to see his little drawings of um, Mickey and Goofy there at the end mm. but again the the whole thing is just to me it's very tonally weird uh i i will mention i do like that there is a moment where gertie the dinosaur Mm. makes an appearance are you familiar with gertie the dinosaur yeah i did at one point take a look in Vincent mccase i mostly have taken a look at little nemo but anyway of course i have seen gertie the dinosaur the short part of animation history yeah exactly it's like one of the very first cartoons and and you can i guess buy ice cream out of gertie's uh this little gertie ice cream place so that that would have been probably a neat thing to have seen completed and if you're an animation buff it's easier to to appreciate so so not too much to say about this one i can't say that i am am sad that it wasn't completed i would have i i i'm i'm sure based on the other stuff that he was doing around this time that i appreciated the other work that rosa probably fell back on more than Mm. than i would have the completed version of this and he 
did mention that he did get much better pay rate out of this one when it was published much later. So it was a win-win situation in the end. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, all right. So that at least was one that he himself wrote and drew. The next story is called Forget Me Not. And this is one of those, that the little sequence, a segment of Dutch comics that he's going to have done the art for. Um, but not have drawn. This is a Daisy Duck story that uh, basically fits in as a Daisy's Diary story. The Daisy's mm. Diary story was a series that like Barks worked on. Vic Lockman did a lot mm. of the writing for him. They're, the they're infamous all... Vic Lockman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People who've listened to every episode of Barks Remarks know how I feel about him. Um, <laughs> it's it's a pretty regrettable series. There there are a few standouts. There are a few good, fun Daisy Duck stories, but it's just true that like Daisy's not usually done right. She's not a very appealing mm. character. I love her in Barks Wintertime Wager. Um, but but so many stories have her being shrewish or or in the case of this one, weirdly naive. This one was written by an artist I'm not familiar with named Rude Stratman. And let's see, when I followed the link on Index, uh, he does have his own entry in the Lambique Comiclopedia. So it looks like he's got some pretty popular Dutch works. Uh, they have a whole paragraph on him in Disney Comics. Um, so it looks like he worked on a bunch of secondary characters like Dumbo and Little Hiawatha, who is inexplicably popular in Europe, I know. Um, it, Gus, it, Gus and Jacques. Yeah, the Dutch, uh, uh, Dutch publishers, they have a fun thing that I think they still do a Brother Rabbit uh, comics and uh, the little Hiawatha comics. I do remember them being on the magazine when I was a kid, but of course, back then, especially as Europeans, we didn't think much of stereotypes. Right. In a way. Yeah, um, and he's he's kind of just been all over the place. He's done some stuff with Jose Carioca, Zé Carioca, for our Brazilian listeners. He... Uh, has done a bunch of Big Bad Wolf. You mentioned Brewer Rabbit. Uh, let's see. He he did do a fun one with Boss Hyman's called The Gloom of the Unknown Author, which is all about the origins mm -hmm. of the Junior Woodchuck's guidebook. I think that one's fairly well known. But yeah, so I don't think he's done too much that has had a ton of longevity in the States, but I'm, I'm, I'll, I'm willing to wager that Dutch listeners are probably pretty familiar with him. But this one is, I, I'm going to say, not one of his strongest efforts. Um, Rose's art here is, is fine, but you do sense that it, it does it does feel a little bit weird having him do this Daisy Duck story. This one is Afsprak Verjardag is the original Dutch title. That does not look like it's going to translate to Forget-Me-Not. I'm going to see what that actually means. I think it was mentioned that it, Anniversary Event is the original name. Oh, okay. At, at least in the Finnish uh, commentary. Yeah, it's telling me in here, Google Translate, that Birthday Appointment is so that's a worse title than for then forget me not even this this has the like cl classic 
I guess, could you call this a classic trope? Uh, it feels like an Archie Comics thing where um, someone, Daisy, believes that she has double booked herself to have mm. dates with Gladstone and Donald at the same time. <laughs> um, and over the course of three pages, she's going to figure out, she's going to like figure out that she has booked herself with other family members and um, is just so embarrassed by this, you know, faux pas that she's going to try to hide out, but uh, eventually is going to kind of skulk back to her own house where everyone shows up at the same time. And it turns out that she has forgotten her own birthday. Marku, this is pretty thin gruel. This this is like childlike behavior. It's not a great payoff. It's not Daisy at her best. I, no, I probably like, not. Yeah, I probably like this even less because I, I think this is one of the, this was published in one of the handful of Gladstone type issues that I didn't have as a kid. So I first mm. saw it at age like like a, a year ago in one mm. of these fanographics publications. So I don't sense that Rosa is very comfortable centering Daisy this way in in this bland and juvenile of a story. Yeah, it feels like that uh, he has had much more fun drawing the backgrounds in this case. There are lots of 1950s perfume bottles and um, the frame that Donald and Gladstone are, Gladstone are on and uh, especially the panel where Gus Goose is eating like uh, seems to be like this sort of oasis during this story that he's doing and yeah. then he does mention that he has drawn something a little bit badly on the so he he can't possibly blame the writer in this case but i guess i think that he's being generous in there yeah i mean his art's fine here hmm. um but the writing, he, he's, in fact, he squeezed some real like character, as you say, out of some of the scenery. There's some fun background gags here. Um, there is a lamp that's pretty lavish and spectacularly drawn, a very tacky lamp in Daisy's room. Mm. And all of the phones are a lot of fun to look at. And and that's yes. about as nice as I can be to this one, I think. Yeah, the I have written in my notes that Daisy's character is in doubt. Uh, which it um, sort of what does she think about double booking dates and stuff like that that is a sort of thing that I never really got into as a kid understanding uh, playing of one another in that way uh, I guess he does mention it's the one time he draws um, Clara Cluck and he doesn't mm. really consider her to be Barks canon I think she just appeared in like those Daisy Duck Diaries I kind of like her as a character we do get a mm. little April May June appearance I don't remember did he feature them in any other instances they're, they're technically yeah. Barks creations yeah the Clara one, I I don't remember seeing that her character a lot, at least my childhood or reading. It could be that she is indeed much more featured in the Dutch stories. Yeah, you know, she's in a lot of the Daisy Ducks diary stories from, mm. from that era, um, including some that Barks at least drew, I believe. So anyway, mm. let's let's continue. We've got our next one. 
is uh, give unto others. This is this is pretty meaty, right? This is a seven-page story, so you know it's it's not all that far from being a ten-pager. Give unto others, technically untitled, as was Forget Me Not. So the original Dutch title was opening season uh which i'm gonna guess is probably like opening season for open fishing season yeah it's opening fishing season i got mm-hmm. that exactly right but it does have the word opening in it so uh, hmm. not not my most ingenious guess we're, we're into 1989 uh december at this point i might have left out the time for some of these i don't care enough to to fix that sorry folks um, this one is like a little higher rated than some 7.1, as of today on Index. So it's like substantial enough that I guess it has its fans. Um, mm. And, and you know, this, this is a story that feels like it's kind of a 1940s bark story with some like very mischievous nephews. Rosa mentions this in his, in his commentary and it it's basically all about Donald being selfish and, you know, the nephews hounding him for their uh, allowance money, them getting hmm. into kind of an argument. Daisy ends up giving each set of ducks $10 to buy something for the other. And, and basically, you know, Donald, the whole time, he's like thinking about fishing, the opening day of the fishing season. There's some genuinely fun gags around that. Um, hmm. but, he, but he ends up accidentally getting a, through happenstance, he gets the fishing rod that he covets, uh, which is exactly what the nephews end up getting for him. Um, but hmm. he's only thinking about himself, so it doesn't even occur to him that it could make a good gift for them. And, and at the end, all is well when they mutually give each other those fishing rods as gifts. You know, it, it has it has its fun moments. I especially um the you can really see that in Rosa, you really get the sense that with this one, Rosa really like went all abroad with the background gags, at least on the first page. I think I have never actually seen so many fishing related gags in a comic strip. Yeah. Um in on a one page. Some of those are genuinely funny actually when compared to the last one for example i found that the characters were a little bit more believable for example daisy is actually much more level-headed and more actually talking sense to donald in this way she feels like an adult (laughs) yes definitely and even the nephews after getting the their say about their allowance they quite very fast they become sort of their almost junior woodchuck selves where they start to uh, actually think about what donald would want to get perhaps my gripe with this one is that i didn't much like the ending it was sort of very easy to guess that this is how it goes the one part i found that Gladstone is also very nice to Donald in this one. He invites Donald to talk, uh, to fish with him. Although it is a little bit weird that he in, uh, invites a fish from the lake <laughs> to Donald's lap and doesn't, for example, give him any of the money from the booth 
that he right. found. It is a fun story, or yeah. let's say, let's say an interesting story is perhaps right. more generous. It's, it's pretty gross seeing Donald carry that fish throughout town, and then to expect that he's going to somehow sell it for ten bucks. Um, but I guess I, I'm used to doing the like Barks era inflation conversion, and this is not necessarily set during that time. Yes, I. I actually wonder if the smell of the fish, if that was on the script or if Rosa came up with it while he was drawing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the nicest things you can say about these stories is that Rosa really does a good job of packing some of his very characteristic background gags into um, the the backgrounds of these stories they um Mm. it gives them a lot more character than you guess they might otherwise and it does make them feel like something that rosa had a part in i i will tell you that the um you called out those fishing gags on the first page those are like worth the price of admission to me those are those are great they are one after the other uh, they're genuinely very funny. I I, I love that part. The, I, the, this story gets a lot of goodwill from me just for that first like that first page because um, those mm. are those are awesome. Those are very funny. Let's it, see. Uh, it does speak a little bit bad for the writing, since yeah. of course those all would have been made up by Rosa himself. But exactly, the writing is pretty pedestrian. Rosa sneaks in a little. Um, cameo of the society ladies from voodoo hoodoo um in the background they're disgusted by the fish so that's kind of a funny bit that Um, i didn't notice yeah i caught that in reading this um this time so let's see this was done by arno brutink and he does not have a comicopedia index uh, index or um, entry. That's the word I'm looking for. He does not have an entry. So I'm just taking a look again to see his top stories here. Um, he does have a pretty good number of other Disney comics. Uh, you know, obviously Dutch appearances mostly around the same time. Oh, not a ton. Two, four, six, seven. Yeah, so so this is not someone who's done a ton of work. Mostly collaborated with others. In he's he writ he wrote in between. It looks like about 1989, and oh, he did something into 2003. That's an interesting return. Mm. So anyway, mostly in the early 90s here. And uh, didn't do much else. Oh, he did a collaboration with Freddie Milton, a couple of them. So that's cool. wonder if I know this story. This one looks vaguely familiar. Monuments or... All right. So anyway, uh, we are making some good progress here. Um, Next up, we've got... Oh, you know what? There was another one-pager that I overlooked. There, We didn't mm-hmm. talk about um, Leaky Luck. Ah, yes. So we've got another one pager here uh, called, I guess this goes right before Back in Time for a Dime. So, you know, before ooh, before we talk about Back in Time for a Dime, we do have this other one page gag story that was written by Evert Gerats. Um, and it looks like he is also another Dutch cartoonist like, like Rosa and a, a former underground comics artist. This says that he was fairly prolific as a Disney comics artist. Let's take a look 
Disney comics writer and artist. So yeah, you know, it's kind of Dutch underground cartoon stuff that you might expect. I'm going to do a control F on the word Disney. Um, one of the most productive script writers of Disney comics for the Dutch Donald Duck Weekly. I don't remember him in being translated a lot, though. Back page gags. So anyway, this is a cute... I, I like this one. I think this is neat. We've got this fun dynamic with Uncle Scrooge and Gladstone Gander. It's it's kind of fun to see Gladstone get the best or someone get the best of Gladstone. Uh, hmm. I won't go over exact, the exact like passage of what happens here, but I, th I think this is pretty strong as far as a 10-pager goes. Yeah, the one part that I found funny was that in the translations, is that is Gladstone also Scrooge's nephew? Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he isn't mentioned that way in the Finnish translation. They just mention Gladstone's name in that one. I think it's not mentioned that often. Right. All right. So now we can move on to the DuckTales story. All right. So we're going to skip. We're going to hold on to um, making the grade here for a moment. And <laughs> we're going to talk about back in time for a dime, Marku. <laughs> so this is the weird little DuckTales story. This is the inverse of Rose's other works where he did the art, but, but it was something that someone else did the writing for. So in this case, Rosa wrote a story for a magazine that Disney launched for DuckTales. It wasn't DuckTales the comic. Mm. It was DuckTales the magazine. Um, and and that Disney used art. This was including during some of Gladstone's run and I believe Disney Comics run. They did art from the... So, so Index has this properly credited as being by Cosme Quartieri and Robert Bat, Bat did the ink. But um, originally mm. this was like a Jaime Diaz studios i think that was like a south american yeah i um i'm not sure but i think i have read at least some of the these ducktales stories as a kid and i have read this one it uh, this is also very very different from the other ones of course especially because of the art which is right oh, i really wouldn't think that rosa would have like a if one wouldn't see the name of Rosa and it wouldn't be included in the Rosa collection, it would be hard for me to find that this is actually written by Rosa yeah. in a way. Yeah, you know, I I, th I think I was at a con once when some wise guy uh, brought this to Rosa to have him sign it. Mm. And, and he declined. Oh, <laughs> if my memory serves. That uh, that may have been uh, like meeting he didn't want to have with yeah. his earlier work. Yeah, Ro Rosa is not like, I don't think he dislikes DuckTales. He mentions in the commentary that he, you know, he just regards it as kind of like this fake Barks thing, an alternate. Mm. He just famously has a sign. He, he chafes when people think that he was involved in DuckTales mm. because, of course, he's not. And I guess that gets a little bit trickier now with the second DuckTales since they actually adapted uh, very, very loosely. But but some of they weren't just cribbing from Barks like the original run did, but they actually got to cover some things that Rosa introduced to the comic. Yes, the problems we get into. Actually, DuckTales, I 
the original one I also did watch as a kid. It was a fun series. I don't particularly remember any of the episodes, but it was pretty okay for a kid's cartoon. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like at its time, for its time, it was pretty spectacular. I, I was just mm. the right age. I was mm. eight in 1988, so like I loved me some DuckTales. Um, I did get into the comics just a few months before I got into mm. the show, so I can at least say that. But, you know, it hasn't held up as well as, as it's held up better than some. But children's television is, is, is sometimes more commerce than art. Th this, we haven't really talked about the story. I'm not going to talk about the story other than to say um, it has Magicka, it has Bubba Duck, it has Launchpad McQuack. Rosa talks about both of those original DuckTales characters. He's actually pretty complimentary of Launchpad McQuack in the commentary. Mm. He says he's an okay character, which is like high praise coming from Rosa, you know? And I, I think he's right. Like Launchpad's a great character. I love the stories that he was in with that William Van Horn did. Oh, but yeah, I I also liked him during the series, and he was an okay character on the Ducktales comics that were also translated in the Finnish uh, Aquanka magazine. But not anything super spectacular that would stick in my mind. Forever. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Apart from the classic Van Horn ones, I would suggest checking those out because they're really, really hmm. something else. But um, he makes clear, Rosa makes clear what he thinks about Bubba Duck. And I think a lot of fans, even people who like DuckTales, do feel like Bubba Duck's, the little cave duck's inclusion was a shark jumping moment. I um, think... I, I think I have been spared from him in this case. And I don't think that I am very sorry about that. No, no, it hasn't held up. Uh, so again, I don't care enough to summarize the story here. But I will say that his little closing gag, where the, the mansion jumps back in time and Launchpad is inside it, um, it's a cute little gag where he says, don't ask me to explain, Mr. McDee. All I know is that it's the first time a house ever crashed into me. I like that. That's that's cute. That's funny. Uh, so let's see. We're we're making. We I think we're I think we're almost there, Marku. Right? We've covered everything except for kind of the main story that we're building this around. Making the grade it is. Yeah. Or well-educated duck. Right. Whichever yeah. title you want to use. Yeah, you know what? There is one other one-pager that he did. All right. So before we get to our last story, we I don't want to leave out Gyro's Beagle Trap. This is an all Don Rosa written and drawn one-pager. It's it's a cute little encounter with a beagle boy and a giant punching bag. I'm not sure why he did another one pager again much later, but it's fine. So anyway, this oh yeah, one... this one this one was the weird one with the punchline at a stick figure. There was a mention of that one at the uh, Rosa collection. That was there a I... mention in his commentary or something? Yes, it, it was that the stick figure at the end was actually uh, a logo of the magazine supposed to be in or something like that. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, you're right. This, um, it, it was all hinging around this little running man emblem that's that's the whole purpose of this one and i wouldn't 
have even recognized it because what did it appear in? It appeared in, uh, it was made for, I guess, a German magazine. All right. So that's the purpose. That's the reason this one feels kind of off, I guess, to me. Yeah. Also, I also don't have any understanding of the magazine or the stick figure in this case yeah so this kind of is is reminiscent of how he incorporated the gladstone publishing logo into his very first 10 pager as part Mm. of the punchline it probably just wasn't relevant to people outside of the u.s who were familiar with who was publishing the magazine so so let's do it now we get to talk about our our i guess the relative masterpiece in this big grab bag of stories uh we're we're going to be going over making the grade as you say also called the well-educated duck this is originally zeiltocht Katrien is the Dutch original title, so technically making the grade is the translation. What does that mean? We'll look it up. Um, that means sailing trip Katrien, so it can't, it's not translated. Katrien. It could be, it, that does sound a little bit like an idiom. Yeah, language exactly. specific. It might be something that I just won't understand, so that's fine. Um, this one was written by Jan Cruz, Cruza. I guess. And uh, he is, I think he's fairly well known because he's collaborated with a number of other duck artists. He's got a pretty good entry on Comiclopedia. When I looked him up on Index, he has a lot of stories, one of which actually ranks higher than this one on Index. So so you might expect that his one collaboration with Don Rosa would kind of get him um, his best showing. But in fact, it is one that he did with Ben Verhagen. It looks like he's collaborated with Verhagen a lot, including in a story called In the Footsteps of Jules Verne that um, I remember being published in Donald Duck Adventures number 19, uh, one that I I really remember enjoying. So, yeah, he's um, I see here where he's collaborated with Don Yippus. Boss Hyman's brother of, of Mao Hyman's, who kind of unknowingly collaborated with Rosa unwittingly, was in um, On a Silver Plat. So anyway, mm. he, he, he's got a pretty notable career and some very well-liked stories. I think I even saw some of his recent stories in the Akuanka magazine came out a couple of weeks ago or something like that. Nice. So, and, and I think he his was featured. Um, let's see, the the Hymans had a Disney Masters collection published recently, and the lead oh. story they called it "Scandal on the Epoch Express" uh, was like the the feature story, and um, he did write that one, so he's been featured in that as well. Hmm. So. Let's uh, let's dive into this story. This one, um, out of all of these, you know, it is a true ten pager. It's our only ten pager here, apart from the the weird little Disneyland thing. And mm. um, so this this one's pretty well structured. You know, I think this has a, a fairly this one I think does a pretty good impression of being like a late forties bark story, um, mm. even more than that other one. 
you know, give unto others with the bratty nephews. We, we've basically got Donald excited about going sailing with Daisy on her new boat. Um, That's a little weird, right? Like Daisy being rich enough for a boat, but I guess that's that can be a middle class pursuit for some. What um, I found what I found actually really weird that isn't it in the bark stories it is always Donald who has the boat. Why does yeah. Daisy have a boat in this one? Well, yeah, anyway. Ex- exactly. I guess, I guess it's it needed to be that way because she had to like nah, I don't know. There's not a good reason for it to be her boat. And Donald is blustering how a well-educated duck like him can master anything. And of course the nephews really want to join along. Um oh. but you know, he says they've got to stay in school, get an education. This is going to be the through line of the story, how important their education is. And after spending a day with Daisy, getting the boat ready for the um, the trip that's going to happen later, kind of, kind of a weird false start to the story. It seems weird that we would start on the boat and then not launch. Mm. But he goes back to find the nephews and... Um, It takes him a little while. You know, they've like messed up the house. He eventually finds them in the attic, having found a mysterious tin box that's Mm. all bound that Donald seems to be very like protective of. Right. And he ends up getting distracted by a telegram from the nephew's principal who explains (laughs) that they have missed school and that he would be glad to go over their lessons if they're sick so that Donald can tutor them at home. Uh, We've got a call out. So playing hooky again, I believe that's directly out of the cartoons. I do like the principal's name. What's his name, Marku? Will I switch him? William I switch him. Oh, yeah. This is, yes. uh, I think I actually heard the switch being the same as something akin to the whip in this case. So it's uh, right. actually a funny, fun name that is also an idiom in this case. So. Yeah, exactly. It's a reference to corporal punishment. A switch is like a tree branch that you use to, to beat your child. There's no other way around that. But um, go ahead. The Finnish, the Finnish translation also has something akin to that one. It, well, it was a very old trope that uh, the teachers would hit the kids if they misbehaved thankfully in the past and not nowadays yeah yeah i mean corporal punishment is not entirely gone from um from the states uh, horribly there there are still paddlings sometimes uh not Mm -hmm. common but but it happens so we've got this funny sequence where donald's going to pursue the nephews who have immediately gone into hiding this little sequence at the top of on page 139 in the collection where Donald's Ooh. looking for them. I, I really love the art where he's like looking for them in the attic, the panel in their pirate den where he bursts in. I love that panel. I, I genuinely think that's a great one. He looks like, uh, you know, <laughs> death incarnate there almost just skulking menacingly um mm. but, I, but, but i think that's great i remember thinking i think i read this one as a kid also and i was wondering that why would the pirates have their den inside a hole the ground or something well it works quite well and, and then donald wises up he goes to to rent a hound a dog that uh, can can track the nephews the hound dog lo- looks 
exactly like general uh, that the junior would Schnauzi. Ah, General Snozzi. All right. I remember the Finnish name, uh, General Sniff, basically the translation. Nice. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I had to like check myself. I was like, is this General Schnauzi? Am I misremembering? Um, but no, it is just another bloodhound that picks mm. up their scent. We get some pretty fun comedy out of Donald being dragged behind the hound. This is another pretty standout sequence, I think. Um, I really like most of these panels. You know, I, I wouldn't mm. have known that who did these stories at the time, right, when I was reading the Gladstone comics. And and I think this looked like generically good to me, basically. Mm. It would have felt like most of the, the strong bark stories that I was reading in Gladstone um, or the stuff from, from Egmont, you know, Don Yippus. I'm sure this felt like a, a normal duck story to me. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, and I remember I when looking at the uh, dog chasing around Donald, I really like the dog just putting his thumb up at the mill. That, that I find the funniest part of the whole yeah. thing but uh the this actually the whole thing feels a little bit like the another rosa story where the nephew metaphorically spanking kind of a way that uh, nephews are playing hooky in that one also and i kind of it almost feels like uh, that this could have been written by rosa also in some cases i think this is probably the strongest of these ones that we have been gathering here anyway. yeah i agree with you on all counts you know i was reminded of, of metaphorically spanking too um especially since donald's about to track them in the old mill you know that hmm. that, this, that it takes place partially in um and 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 as you said this is this is a pretty good story it's pretty strong it, it feels like something that if, if you told me Rosa wrote it, I wouldn't have had any reason to like disbelieve you. I would have said, oh, it's probably not one of his best, but I see it's got his art. You know, he maybe wasn't as creative then. This, this is pretty solid. This is this is a strong story. Uh, yes. So just the same feelings from me that I wouldn't have actually guessed that this actually was written by somebody else. What do we know? Sometimes like right. uh, the writers can indeed make stuff happen. Yeah, that's a pretty good compliment too. So, you know, Donald has caught up thanks to the bloodhound and uh, the nephews have this blackmail moment where they've realized that the that tin box is full of Donald's old report cards which reveal him to have been a terrible student they do have this moment where you know they're they're gonna get away with it but then Donald orders the bloodhound to sick him and he gets him uh, the box is dropped into the river floats away and Donald is in charge again um and we get this weird part of the story story where he delivers them to their principal what did you think of this this if you're thinking is this an American thing no it's it's definitely not I don't know if it's a Dutch thing but we do not leave the principal in charge of our students for a couple of for an overnight so that we can go um, off sailing yeah this is um probably uh, they didn't want to introduce a teacher in this one or something or is the Cornelius Coote Elementary such a small school that they only have a principal in there well anyway 
I guess the suspension of disbelief in this one. Yeah, this is especially although the and I have your permission to be firm with them if need be. It sounds a little bit more menacing than it did than it did when I I was a kid and reading reading this. I thought that it basically meant that they would get more homework. The naive kid me being me in that case. Right now, now you know that what Principal Switchum's idea of firm <laughs> clearly is. Um, yeah. yeah, this is probably the cl- most clumsily written part of this, just staying with the principal. But um, but yeah, the story wraps up by Donald having a nice boat ride with Daisy, and Daisy fishes out of the floating package, and thankfully, or, or not so thankfully for Donald, his old report cards have been kept dry, so she can see what a terrible student he was, and she is going to demand that they spend the the rest of their little boating jaunt with him um, brushing up on his studies. Again, this is not the best written part of the story. The ending is, is certainly the weakest. Like, why did they did they go back to shore? to pick up some homework for Donald. Um, can Donald just be an adult and say, no, like I'm a grown man. I don't need to pass remedial, whatever. You know, it, it is comic book logic, whatever, but it does seem like a little bit weak sauce here. Speaking of the grown man logic in this one, it, uh, I forgot to mention it before, but isn't it a little bit uh, 1950s parenting going on in that let's get the kids out of the way and let's go sailing together <laughs> right. with the girlfriend sort of thing i'll give them so many chores that they'll drown underneath the work or something um, yeah yeah it's harsh and it's a weird way to get your kids off of your back he was originally planning to just leave them at home instead of with the principal um and, yes. and you know is daisy not gonna like wonder ah eh, so we can we can pick it apart, but it is just a short little gag story that he didn't write. Even mm. with those faults, I, I think it's 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 entertaining. It's it's definitely the standout. Maybe with the exception, I do really like how Fir Tree Fracas turned out. Um, but but mm. you know they're they're different because that was just a, a modest little four pager. Yeah, I I also probably prefer that one. It had a nice spirit, and especially I like the tree that was in the fir tree fracas. That one was actually, at least on some of my printings, they were like standout. The colorist had really gone overboard with that one. Yeah, there there was, agreed, colorization. So, Marku, we we got to cover these pretty well again. I was not super excited to do these grab bag stories, but I will say this ended up being really interesting. It's fun to think Mm. about other people who may have collaborated with him and to just look at these aspects of Rose's career. It's nice to be a completionist. Um, Mm. So we're we're on the same page, I guess. We we both thought that making the grade was a standout as well as fir tree fracas. Yes, I I think that we are, and uh, the starstruck duck was definitely interesting yeah. in a way that I hadn't thought of in a weirdly meta way. It was actually kind of interesting. Yeah, weirdly, weirdly meta is the way to describe it. You know, before we wrap it up, just let me ask, which which of the very short ones was your favorite, either the one pager or the two pager? We had um, Paper Chase, Rocket Reverie, Fiscal Fitness, Leaky Luck. 
Oh, and the beagle trap, Gyro's beagle trap. I guess the retro science fan in me likes the rocket reverie in this case. Oh, that's but, interesting. Because that I probably would have put that at the bottom of the heap. Um, I think but... I think it is very much only because of the art and the sure. subject. I, I, I could see that. Um, and again, I think most people probably, I, I can see why people don't like fiscal fitness, but I, I quite like that one. I think that one's fun. Hmm. So, so Marku, how can people check you out on Instagram? Do you want to give out your, your username there? Yeah, so... My username is at marumuju, meaning M-A-R-U-M-U-J-U-S. It's, it's probably easier to understand that way if you're at mm-hmm. least an English speaker. Yeah, I think so. So so check out his art. And thank you, folks, for listening to this weird grab bag. But um, be sure to join us next time when we're going to be back to our regular tricks. And we're going to be talking about, oh, I believe we're going to be talking about the Pied Piper of Duckburg. Um, and you can check us out on Instagram occasionally, mostly on Facebook, Rosa Remarks. Check out the other podcast, Barks Remarks. Marku, thank you for dealing with my butchering your name. And thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I really got to look into these ones that are stories that I wouldn't have taken very many looks at before. But they were interesting. Definitely. All right. All right.